Good morning, everybody. It is Pastor Paul here on a Tuesday morning. It's, gosh, can you believe it? February 1st, 2022. So glad that you have joined us. If you're a regular to these times, you know what they're all about. We take a little portion of God's word. We unpack it for 10 or 12 or 15 minutes, apply it, and then sort of use it as this uh, launching point out into our days to help us to be spiritually minded and filled with God's word and filled with his spirit and prayerful. And so if you're one of those who faithfully joined us, um, so glad you're here. If you're new to all this, um, we're this season walking through the book of Romans. Now we're obviously preaching through the book of Romans on Sunday mornings at Four Oaks, but because Romans is so rich and deep and powerful, there's not time by any stretch of the imagination to unpack everything in that text for that Sunday. So we use these times during the week to explore uh, further, to apply in more specific ways, to unpack maybe portions of scripture we didn't have a chance to, to really dig into as much as we would have liked to. And so that's what we're doing. Now, this past Sunday, Pastor Scott pinch hit for me because um, we were down with the Rona, and, but we're back up to speed now. And But he didn't preach from Romans, he preached from Psalm 1, which leads us to this place where I thought this week would be a good time um, because we're approaching the halfway point in our series in Romans to sort of do a review, to sort of walk back and remember where we've been, why Paul is writing, what his central themes are, um, so as to give us a running start back into Romans 6 this coming Sunday. And so yesterday, we we kind of, we talked about what Paul's purpose was in writing. We talked about what what his concern was, what his driving heartbeat was, and, and essentially it's the gospel, right? Romans 1, 16 and 17 are the theme, is the theme verse or verses for, for this whole book, where, where here Paul tells us that it is the gospel that is the power of God. It is the gospel that saves. It is the gospel uh, where righteousness is revealed. And the gospel is what animates Paul's life. It's why he wants to visit Rome, to go on to Spain to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus to those who, who don't know it. It's, it's what he wants to exhort the readers and listeners and the churches in Rome to live their lives by, this idea of the gospel. Um, it's, his, it's, it's the controlling reality of his life. And we talked about how in the same way we want to think about what how is the gospel the controlling reality in our life, both in terms of mission and in ministry, in our own growth and hearts? And that's where we left off. And so, so today, we want to really ask a very obvious question. It's probably one that the churches in Rome, the church in Rome was asking, which is simply this. Paul, we hear you telling us about the good news, the good news of Jesus. But if there's a good news, there must be some sort of bad news. There there must be, to make news good, there has to be an impending piece of bad news that's also present in order for the good news to be good. And so that would have been a very natural question for them to ask. And this is what Paul uh, commends himself to over the next chapter and a half, really from Romans 1.18 through the middle part of Romans chapter 3 or even in the end of chapter 2. Paul wants to talk about the bad news, which makes the good news so imperative, which makes it so important and pressing and such a priority in his life and ministry and why it should be a priority for us. 
And it's no stretch of the imagination, it's not an exaggeration to say that apart from this good news, we are eternally lost. Now, now why is this? Well, what Paul does first, he wants to talk about why the gospel is needed. And very simply, um, he tells us in verse 18, the, the dilemma of mankind, the dilemma of everyone born in the history of planet Earth. Listen to what Romans 1.18 says. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now, that's a very stark statement. Paul is saying that all of mankind, and mankind is a generic term for men, women, boys, girls, children, old, rich, poor, young, all, everybody is born under the same the same dilemma, the same sentence, the same judgment, and that is everyone is born um, by virtue of their nature and their actions and their sin, born under the wrath and judgment of God. And, and that may sound like a stinging indictment. It's more than stinging, right? It's perilous. And we have to, we have to ask, what is at the heart of this wrath that God is is pouring out or is revealing or is has extended over humanity. And we get a sense of this. If you look in chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, um, the nature of this judgment of God against mankind comes as a result of a couple of things. Okay, so look at verse 14, chapter 2. It says, for when Gentiles, and Gentiles were those, any of those outside the Jewish faith, all right? For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So Paul says that everyone is born with an innate understanding of the fact that there is that they are made in the image of God. Now, people may not put it into those categories, but the fact that people have a conscience, the fact that people have the capacity to do things, to do good things, to create, to invent, to explore, to, to, to be creative, all of these things are reflective of the fact that we are made in the image of God, that God is the supreme creator, the supreme artist, the supreme producer, worker, we are made in that image. And when we have a conscience that that tells us when certain things are right and wrong, or when we have certain intuitions that we want to explore or be ambitious or work or create, these are all things that testify to us that we are made in his image. The problem, of course, and this goes back to verse 19 um, or verse 18, is that we suppress that truth. In other words, <clears throat> although we know in our heart of hearts there's a God, and although we know in our heart of hearts there's a right and wrong, we don't want to live according to it. We want to live by our own law. Because to acknowledge that there um, is a God is to acknowledge authority. It's to acknowledge accountability. It's to acknowledge that we have to answer to someone beyond ourselves, that there is something outside of us that is a higher authority than the self. And particularly that stings in our current cultural moment, right? 
it seems that all of the the social drivers culturally are ones that seek to make man autonomous, to make him or her free, to, to make decisions for him or herself, to create their own life, to create their own identity, to create their own reality, and that no one's reality or identity is more superior than another. Well, God's voice, his word thunders into the midst of that and say, that is a lie. It's a deception. It's not true. <clears throat> we are made in God's image. And because of that, as verse 19 says, what can be known about God is plain to them. God has shown it to them. Verse 20, chapter one, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So it's plainly obvious but we don't like the implications of that and we try to do workarounds, okay, to get out of that. We, we, we try to suppress that truth about God. We, we ignore it or we theologize against it or philosophize against it is probably a better way to say it. We, we order our lives in such a way and because of, to, to be out from under the accountability of God and because of all this, Paul says, we're under God's just wrath and judgment. And Paul is making the case that this is the case for everyone. Now, for the Jew in the audience who's hearing this, you can, you can hear them saying, <clears throat> excuse me, that's right, Paul, go get them. Those nasty Gentiles, they're not like us God-fearing Jews. Um, they've gone their own way. They've suppressed the truth. We're the privileged cho chosen ones. Paul has a word to say to the spiritual, to the religious, Okay, to the ones who would say, yes, I do acknowledge a God. And this was the Jews in that context. But listen to what he says in chapter two, verse one. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. In other words, you may acknowledge God with your lips, Paul says, but you religious folk, you're no better in your heart of hearts. You also want to create your own life. You also want to create your own reality. You also want to establish your own righteousness and identity apart from God. But for you, it doesn't come through rebellion or not doing what your parents say or what the Bible says, but for you, it comes through moral action through you, through your rebellion happens because you think you can save yourself. Your rebellion takes the form of the fact that you think you are good enough. In fact, that you are better than all the ones out here who are not doing it as well as you think you are. Paul's central point here is to say, whether you're Jew or Greek, rich or poor, young or old, educated, uneducated, whatever ethnicity you are, whatever religious background you are, none of that earns us special status with God. All of us are justly condemned and under his righteous wrath, which let's be honest, if that's true and we believe it is, that's terrible news. That's bad news. That's um, the worst kind of news. And that's where Paul wants to leave us today, right? Paul wants us to feel the weight of that. Because until we feel the weight of that, we won't feel the weight of the good news through Jesus Christ that Paul is so anxious to talk to us about. 
So as we continue this review and go through Romans 3, 4, and 5 over the next few days, we're going to see this. We're going to see that Paul has to give us the bad news because he is so anxious to give us the good news, to, to proclaim it to us, to show it to us, to show it how it applies to us, to show how we as desperate rebels can be brought out from the wrath of God and be not just forgiven, but given as adoption, but given adoption as sons and daughters um, through King Jesus. And that's where we are going um, to go tomorrow. But for today, just have a sober assessment in reality. Don't try to think about all the ways that you are not that bad or ways that you are really haven't messed up quite, quite that much. Just think about and tell yourself the truth, the reality of who you know yourself to be. And when you get in that quiet place and you, and you think about that, you realize indeed it is some very bad news um, that awaits us because of who we are naturally in our flesh. And then, but, but if you're a Christian, let that then prime the pump of your heart to run to Jesus. And that's how we, that's where we wanna go over the next couple of days. But let me pray for us. Lord, in our quest to run to you, let us not skip over the bad news. Lord, we want to, we don't wanna wallow in it, but we wanna be sober about it. We wanna be realistic. We want to, to have an honest assessment of ourselves so that when we turn to you, you're not just fair news or good advice or a therapeutic um, band-aid, but you in fact are good news for us, which we so desperately need through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Thanks everybody for joining us, see you tomorrow.